My name is Kaylee Golden, your favourite girl from Brum, and this is the Radio Silence Podcast. On this podcast, we're sharing stories of minority groups within the UK radio industry and generally just asking, how can we do better? Because come on, things have to change. Throughout season one, we're focusing particularly on stories of black creatives within the industry. On today's episode, I'll be speaking to a complete range of people throughout the industry. First, BBC Radio Leicester's Amanita Kamara. She is a great presenter. And then I'll be speaking to Shahala Tahira. Now she's a producer for One Extra Talks and BBC One Extra. And also, she's an advisor for the Student Radio Association. And finally, I'll be chatting to Steve Parkinson, the Managing Director at Bauer Media. And now I know you're thinking, hold on, isn't Steve white? (laughs) But me and Steve had a whole journey together this year to figure out how we can make Bauer Media a better and safer place for my fellow Black Heritage creative. I also just want to take a moment to mention that this season is dedicated to the incredible work being done at Black Minds Matter. This charity is so close to my heart because it aims to empower communities to make an everlasting change. To learn more about them and to donate to their cause, and please do that, just check out the notes of this podcast. Right, let's get into it with Shahala Tahira. So can you talk to me a little bit about how your radio journey began? Where did it all start for you? It actually started at university, student radio. I was literally at one of those freshers, like, fair things. And I seen Brunel Student Radio and I was like, oh my God, I can have a radio show. So that's where it started. But I didn't really take it seriously. I'm not going to lie. Like, we used to let out their swear words. Ofcom would have come for us. Um, (laughs) We did our show. But like, I didn't really understand radio at that point. To me, I had this kind of illusion everyone else has that radio is just sticking on some tracks and having a chat with your mate. Yeah. I didn't understand like the planning that goes into like a proper radio show. Yeah. To be honest though, that's what student radio is all about. It's all about developing your skills and maybe not even having a clue and trying different things out and making them mistakes before you do go to a community station or a national station. So yeah, definitely. So was you looking at studying, was you studying something within media when you went to Brunel before you come across student radio? I was actually studying drama, film and TV. Oh, okay, Because growing up, I kept going back and forth between wanting to be an actress and wanting to be a presenter. So it wasn't even like radio that drew me in. It was, I wanted to just chat and like meet people. But then in my third year, I did a placement at Hayes FM and that, spark the actual like radio bug okay yeah I've got you and at that point then so you've done that that placement did you think at that point it'd be hard to make it in radio no I literally was like right I'm gonna I was going to Camp America that summer I was like I'm gonna leave uni go Camp America come back get my radio show like in my head (laughs) this is just like it was gonna be really straightforward process but obviously it's not like, even um, my first proper industry job was APing on Choice FM Breakfast. And I remember about a month into being there, I basically, they were looking for a presenter. And I was like, hello, like, I should be your next presenter. This time I had, like, no on-air experience. I think I've done, like, a few cover shows here and there, but I'd literally done nothing. And I, I expected them to just, like, give me a show. Do you know what, though? Do you know why I, t- I think this is? Because a lot of the time that you go to, like, industry talks and panels, the term, I just fell into it, always comes up. So I think a lot of people think that if you're in the building and a slot comes up, that you're just going to be handed it because of that term, oh, I just fell into it. Because technically I did fall into radio, like, because of student radio. Yeah. But then at the same time it's been a long graft like do you know what I mean it's been seven years I've been working in radio so and at that point then before you went off to Camp America did you feel represented in radio did you look at it and think oh okay they represent me 
Not really. Like when I think of the first kind of presenters I looked at, it was like Fern Cotton. And it's funny because back then, naively, even though she's white, blonde, a bit more middle class than me, I still was like, oh, Fern's doing it. I'm going to do it. And then like down the line, you had a few other people come along and they weren't even really radio. They were just presenters like Angelica Bell. But you had a few, but it wasn't common. It wasn't common. And then you had like your odd OG, like your Trevor Nelson, who was like, okay, Trevor's there. But there wasn't really like a lot of good representation at the time of me wanting to join radio. I still just naively thought that I was going to be the next big black female presenter, even though there wasn't really a big black female presenter already there. But that's nice that you had that, even though you say, obviously, that it's naivety. It's also like, okay, it's good that that didn't put you back, that you were still like, no, I am going to be it. It didn't put me off presenting, but I definitely, when I first started in industry, I remember saying, like, as soon as you leave the studio, it's like you walk into white man's world. Like, it's so, it's crazy. Like, from the social team to the playlist team to the management team, I literally used to step out of the studio. And at the time I was working with Kojo and Jade, so black and mixed race heritage. My exec producer was a black female. And like in that bubble of the studio, I felt really safe and like comfortable. And as soon as the show would finish and come out of the studio, I would feel like so just, you know, like when you, that imposter syndrome, like, oh, oh, let me watch what I say. Let me filter myself. I've even had little indirects from like other presenters. Like, oh, you want to be a presenter? You don't look like a presenter because I would be there in the morning. So I would have like no makeup on, my glasses on. Yes, I've like, I've had that. I've had that same experience because I work on a breakfast show now and I've literally had people say the same thing to me because you don't look like how you do generally if you work on a breakfast show. There's no way that you're rolling out of bed at 4am and you're looking 10 It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Like, Jade was all right because during the show, in between links, she would do her makeup. Yeah. So by the time she finished the show and left the studio, she would look glam, but I'm producing. I ain't got time to do that. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I'm talking to callers, editing packages, like sorting out scripts. And yeah, you always look like trash. I'm sorry. It was a struggle just getting up, leave alone trying to look good. No, no, no. Right. Something that's important to note as well, we're on about a specialist station here. We're not on about a state you'd expect in a specialist station that plays a lot of black music that maybe you would walk out of the studio and there would be a lot of black people there. No, not that specific one. Definitely not. I found now I've moved over to public service. It's more diverse. But again, it's only diverse on the station for black people or on the station for Asian people which again frustrates me because it's like because I'm black I can't make a mainstream radio one show or I can't make a six music do you know what I mean like why is it just on the stations for certain communities is there diversity there should be diversity across all stations and I think in commercial radio it's worse it's a way worse yeah yeah, it is It is a lot worse. And as you mentioned now, like I know a lot of my peers that do work at like Capital Extra, One Extra, like I'm seeing a lot of producers up and coming, but then it's also like I couldn't name one black producer that's at Capital. I couldn't name one. I couldn't name one black producer that's at Radio One. Like there the could be, but I'm mean, about personally, I couldn't name one and I've struggled to find one. If you, if you are, are you listening to this? Seriously, get in my email because I'd love to talk to you. But I've been struggling to find any. Also, what frustrates me about that is radio is not the type of industry you go into for the money. Like, it's a very low paying kind of career. You have to do years and years of legwork to get to a point where you're like earning a decent, especially living in London, like a decent wage. And the bigger stations with the bigger budgets where we can't get in do you know what I mean so it's it's even frustrating in that because the more specialist stations for those communities have lower budgets but for the people who are working there they're the exact demographic who need that bigger paycheck like there's probably supporting family or they probably have like their own bills like they don't come from that privileged background and so that's really frustrating that it's like we could get more money if we got on one of the bigger stations but they're not diverse enough yeah. And it's true what you say. I think people outside of radio think that radio, you get absolute peas and you don't. For something that 
everyone thinks is very, very glamorous. The money is very, very average and sometimes below average if you're not in a mainstream or like a commercial station. Let's talk about your new role that you took on as an advisor for the Student Radio Association. So what does that role entail? What does that mean? So I attend their meetings. Well, I've attended one official one with the whole board and I've attended little micro ones with other projects that we're trying to get run in. Sharing my network. So one of the main reasons they brought me on is my diverse background and my diverse network of other broadcasters and other people who work in radio. And so getting out information to them, because I think they basically took a look in the mirror and felt their lack of diversity and knew they needed someone to come in and like shake it up a bit and add more diversity. I'm judging this year, the SRAs. I judged last year as well, but yeah, judging some of the entries specifically for the Diverse Equality and Inclusion Awards, which is amazing. And then other than that, I think just kind of being a point of reference for them when they're making those editorial decisions and they don't have someone from a community like have an opinion on on what they're actually going to do. Yeah. The role is so, so important. And even outside of just student radio, I'm starting to see different roles pop up within radio stations where they are having someone that their focus is on diversity. And it's so important. Like Bowers just got someone as well, which is it's so vital. And people don't realise how important that role actually is. Mm. Vital. Mm. It's vital. Like it, it blows my mind that people didn't have that before. But That's why I love this year, because this year it's just such a year of reflection and a year of change that little things like that is making a big difference. Yeah, I mean, you can't have a room for the people talking about a culture that they don't understand. They didn't grow up in it. Their connection to it is normally quite a thin one. Like, yeah, oh, I've got a few black friends. It's not the same. Being black and having black friends is not the same. And I think for specifically the Student Radio Association, starting that in student radio is so important that you start it's like it's like how you have to learn the key things in in primary school to then get onto secondary school so I think it is you're right it's so important yeah it really is and it's so true like obviously this this season of the podcast is specifically about ethnic diversity within radio but there is also so many different groups that we are going to carry on with the podcast and we are going to do a different group for each season because there's so many different groups that are just so underrepresented within radio and where they are represented it will literally just be one station that's just you just push that station and that's it so even as you mentioned the fact that this award will look at um all kinds of diversity and inclusion is so important so I'm really really excited I'm a massive fan of student radio as you know so just it's just it brightens things up I think it puts a smile on my face anyway (laughs) yeah definitely Something that I really, really do want to talk to you about, obviously a lot of the time that we talk about diversity in radio, a lot of people will say, oh, well, the specialist stations are fine, specialist stations are this and that. But where there's one area that really lacks it more than anything, and that is speech radio. Speech radio, it's awful when it comes to diversity. But One Extra Talks, the show is so sick and it talks about so many different topics and covers everything. So that is proof that black producers, black presenters can create wicked speech-based radio. So why do you think there's a lack of diversity in mainstream speech radio? Because they just assume that the black community just cares about drill and chicken, basically. And I think this year has really shocked a few people to their core because the younger generation has been so vocal about the issues that are happening in society And it's just like, we love to talk. There's always been a stigma around the black community and talking about your problems, about your issues from like the older generation. But I would say my generation and the younger generation were more than happy to like discuss our issues, to like share advice, to get guidance. And that's a really old stigma that like needs to get shaken. It's so true. There should be on some of the bigger speak, like an LBC, like, Where's the black-led show? Do you know what I mean? And it's not the only one, but it's the first one that came to my head. But there definitely needs to be room for it. Even some of the students I've worked with, 
There's multiple who are like young black male as well, because there's a whole stigma around men that wanted to talk, who are like, I want to show on LBC. I want to be a journalist. I want my voice to be heard. So it's a really bad assumption. It's that whole stereotype of the black community that we only care about fluff, you know, like gold chains and music and food. And it's like, no, we live the same struggles, if not more than you. So we have plenty to say. It's so true. And another example when One Extra just, they blew me away was obviously when DJ Ace and Shawnee B done the show about the Black Lives Matter movement. And they was literally taking calls, having discussions. The show literally turned into LBC. And it was just like, this is proof. These aren't just DJs. You know what I mean? Shawnee B can do more than just playing a few dancehall tracks. Do you know what I mean? Ace was having such important conversations with listeners. And it was just like, why aren't people paying attention to this and saying, no, a lot of these music DJs can do way more, way more than just playing a few tracks and talking in between. They're brilliant at it, but don't act like they can't do a speech show because they can. And even that clip from that show, I was talking to Rohan, who manages the socials. He said it was one of the biggest clips on the One Extra Instagram, like it went off. This is what I'm talking about. You think we just care about the pop culture, but like, no, people do care. I'm just hoping that now, more than anything, that speech radio does open their eyes. And it's so warming to know that you've had students that have said, no, I want to be on LBC. I want to be a journalist because of I've never even come across anyone really until the past couple of years that has said that that's from an ethnic background. Yeah, I mean, I think they're scared to. That's the thing. I was lucky that I was teaching at a media school, so we were very encouraging of like following whatever path in media you wanted to go down. But I'm sure in like a mainstream secondary school, you're not going to want to open up about that because they'll be like ridicule, like, oh, why do you think you can do it? Do you know what I mean? And it's about changing that perception in society. Yeah. It can happen. It can definitely happen. I hope so. Right. Two final questions. They are the most important questions of the whole podcast. The first one is, why do you think there is a lack of diversity in radio? It's a big one. I think it stems from the fact that it's been so hard for people to get in, firstly. Like, unless it's a black station, as I said, or an Asian station, you're not really the desirable candidate. And before it was very much My uncle, my dad, my brother got me this job. It was very much like a hookup kind of industry. So for so many years, that kind of mentality has been passed down the line to where I would say only in the last five years, I'm seeing diversity starting to happen where you can actually just apply for a job and get the job. Even my current job, I'm not going to lie, I walked into the interview room. It was two white people interviewing me. I was like, Like straight away, even in myself, I thought, I'm not getting this job. Do you know what I mean? Because you already feel that barrier of, you're not going to get me. You're not going to understand me in this interview. You're not going to get my culture. You're not going to get my character. Like before you've even got the job, the interview process, if you walk into a room and you don't feel represented, how can you then join that company? Luckily, obviously, the people interviewing me are much more open-minded But that's not always the case. I'll never forget when I went for a promotion at Capital. This is when Choice had changed to Capital Extra. And I went for a promotion from Capital Extra to join the Capital team, breakfast team. And I I jumped through all their hurdles. It was like a four-stage interview process. And I was at the final stage. And the producer on the actual show was like, I absolutely love you. I've heard amazing things about you on Capital Extra. I really want to get you on this show. Like, just make sure everything you've told me, you kind of say the same thing in the interview. I did. I felt like I did a great performance. I knew the brand. I was in the building. Like, it made so much sense for me to join the team. Did I get the promotion? No. And it's like, in hindsight, why didn't I get it? The only barrier that I can think of was that I was a young black girl. I was 23 then. So, you didn't get me, even though the producer loved my ideas, loved my contribution. No, I'd worked on breakfast at Capital Extra and I could bring big ideas to the show, didn't get the job. And I can only think the only reason I didn't get was my race because the person they did get wasn't more experienced than me. Like, do you know what I mean? It was just like, 
it's just that barrier. It really is. And it's so hard because of the maddest thing of what you just said is when you're in them situations and you think, what else could it be? And you don't want to sound like you're just blaming it on your... Playing the race yeah, card. Yeah, you don't, you don't, because you feel like you question yourself. You go, oh, am I just playing the race card? But then you think, generally, what on earth else could it be? Everything else, we have the same experiences. Maybe I even have more experience. I have a great personality, great ideas. So what else could it be? And it's a hard realisation because you actually think, do you know what? It must be the other things that are different about me. That's surely what it is. And it, it's a ho- and there's nothing you can do about that. You can't change it. Do you know what I mean? That's that's what hurts. And that's why the black community, everyone's like the angry black woman. That's why we're angry. Because you're punishing us for something that we was born into this. We can't change this. This is who we are. It's ridiculous. So the final question that I'd love to hear from you is how do you think we can fix this problem? How can we fix diversity in radio? We need to start from the top. I don't think the problem's on the ground because normally on the ground you have the most diverse, normally, like at the junior level. And even as I said, even at a producer level, they're a lot more exposed to different cultures and experiences and a lot more understanding of things. It's the people at the top who've probably been in the industry for 30 years have always seen it their way or the highway. And until we start from the top and work our way down, we will not... There's that glass ceiling that everyone talks about. Because if the person at the top is blocking you, there's nowhere to... like, There's no room. Where are you going to go? So we need more black execs, more black heads of station. I, I, I love Mark Stripple. He's given me so much opportunities. But the feedback I've heard from people outside the BBC is, thank God we have a black head of station now. Like this should have always been the case. So we really do need from the top some diversity and it has to be a mixture of diversity. Do you know what I mean? It can't just be like a black head of station is great, but that's the starting point. It needs to be more females at the top. It needs to be more different cultures, more different genders, like just everything. Charlotte Tahira there talking about her experiences working at BBC Radio 1 Extra and also the role that she landed this year as an advisor for the Student Radio Association. Right, next up is Amanita Kamara from BBC Radio Leicester. Can we just talk a little bit about your journey into radio? How did it all begin? So it kind of happened, I don't know if you want to say by accident. So I don't have a background in radio at all. My background's actually in drama. I came, well, I'm originally from London, came to Leicester to study drama, applied for tons of drama schools, didn't get in, so ended up coming to study at uni here. And then when I graduated, I went into setting up my own theatre company and I staged a few plays and did that for a little while um, until the arts just wasn't paying like I was hoping it would. So went into admin and all sorts of other bits and pieces. But anyway... So I got into radio because BBC Radio Leicester had an advert. They had it out for a little while, but I saw it two days before the actual audition day. Someone sent it to me and was like, you'd be great for this. Definitely go for it. And all they were literally asking was for you to put forward a one minute pitch. It was going to be a blind audition and you would have to literally present your voice and they would judge based on what they heard and take it from there. Then there'd be like a few other steps. So I went to the audition, literally had like, 24 hours to prepare for it because I, I kind of wasn't going to do it. I just thought, I'm not going to get it, whatever. Anyway, prepared, went, did the audition. They got back to me a few days later and were like, great, we'd love to have you come through to the second stage. And then the second stage was you had to put forward the ideas that you would present if you had the show. So I put together like my paperwork, had like a whole document or whatever, sent it off. It got back to me again. I was like, great, brilliant. We love it. You're free to the final stage, which was 20-minute live audition where you'd have to do a segment of the ideas that you pitched live on air alongside, at this point, six people had been shortlisted and I was one of the six. So yeah, I did the live audition and then they got back to me after that and were like, we loved you so much, loved your ideas, you've got the job. That's how I ended up here. And something that's very interesting then, do you think it's important for stations to kind of put the call out and allow anyone to apply? Because I suppose that narrows it down to just having a certain audience apply for radio jobs. 
hundred percent. And they were very, they were very intentional about how they did it. So they were specifically looking for a black presenter to present their show that was aimed at a young black audience. They were very quite specific, and because they felt like if they were to host it at the BBC station, then people might be a bit intimidated. They might not feel comfortable to apply. They actually held it at another local venue, which is like way more accessible for like young people to go to and you know chill out and all the rest of it. So the, yeah, they were very intentional, and I think it was it was a very good move. There wasn't like a formal application process where you would have to say these are my credentials, this is what I've done, this is what I'm good at. It literally was: can you present? Can you convey a powerful story in one minute? Can you demonstrate to us, you know, what you would do if you had the show and what can you physically do on air? And it was purely based on that. It's so, it's so brilliant because if that didn't get put out, you wouldn't be doing radio now. And it just shows how just to put something out that's accessible for everyone. And as you said, when it comes to equality opportunities, it's not always the case of doing things the normal way. It's about people feeling comfortable to go ahead. So as you said, having somewhere that's more accessible for young people and somewhere that people feel comfortable and that that can really shine, to be honest, is so important. And I've never considered that until you just said that. Yeah, I mean, it was a really smart move. And I know, as I I could say I'm a confident person, so as confident as I am, I definitely would have felt a lot more pressure had it been held at the BBC, had it, you know, because again, it has that name, it has that persona that it's just so inaccessible and it just feels borderline impossible that you would ever get this opportunity. And I know there were so many other people like myself who went to that audition and felt like, Maybe I I could have a shot at this simply because of where it was held, how the whole process was set out. There wasn't an intimidating application, you know, process. It was literally come as you are, show us what you can do. And it definitely opened doors to so many young people. It's an interesting one because of obviously Leicester's a very, very diverse city. How important do you think it is that obviously the local BBC station has a diverse amount of presenters? So important because Leicester is a diverse city. I mean, we have like pretty much 50-50 split between white and non-white. So therefore, it's so vital that our output reflects that because if these are our listeners, we need to make sure that the stories connect, the presenters connect. And I can only share stories or have access to stories from a community that I'm connected with. So because I'm plugged into like the young black community, of course, it makes sense. You know, we've got Asian presenters who can speak the language, who understand the lingo and the dialect and the culture. They can bring that in. It's it doesn't make sense to just have one type of person reach everything because you can't, it won't be genuine, it won't be pure and it just won't be relatable. So, and I think what's interesting in lockdown, because we've got so many different cultures throughout our output, we've been able to convey the messages about coronavirus and how to stay safe in so many different languages. And I think that has been really, really powerful. So on air, presenters actually speak in a different language so it would be on a trail. So we've got like the we've got like the trails that you would have like in between, like a, like a one minute trail that will go in between, and it will say something like, "This is a coronavirus update in Urdu," and then they would do it, or "This is a coronavirus update in Hindi," and then you know the information would come out. Or you'd probably have sometimes we had some output that was presented with someone with an African accent and a Nigerian guy. And even just hearing that, I didn't realise how much of an impact it would have until I heard it myself. And I was like, yes, levels. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) That is so powerful. Yeah, it was really good. Really good. Oh my gosh. And I could never, honestly, I could never imagine hearing that on the radio like I've never heard that on the radio so to even know that BBC Radio Leicester's going down like that wow that is incredible and I hope other stations take some inspiration from that wow that's completely taken me aback because of to just know that a station had took that step and said we're going to do that because everyone and it's as simple as everyone in the city needs to be updated do you know what I mean? No one should miss out because of English may not be their first language or maybe they are surrounded by Nigerian accents and that's something that they feel more comfortable listening to. So it makes sense and it's mad that no one's done that yet. I mean, it really is interesting. I think that is the beauty of local radio because you can really home in 
in your community, you can really, you know, look at and see who is our audience, who's listening, who are the ones that are feeding into our culture. And I think that is something that the BBC should be doing more of because, you know, taxpayers, you know, we are the ones that are, that are feeding into that. So absolutely, we should have our voices and our stories heard. And there's definitely, I mean, there's so much more work to be done. There's so much more output that needs to be a lot more diverse, but I see it as a step in the right direction. Yeah, it really is. And being a BBC presenter, how did it feel when the BBC announced the funding specifically for diverse content? It was a real proud moment. And when everything kind of was in its infancy since the tragic death of George Floyd and, and, you know, brands were speaking out, I remember just feeling like, okay, so where does the BBC stand on this? You know, what are we going to do about it? And I remember just, just feeling like, okay, well, everyone else is speaking out. I'm having opinions about people who aren't speaking out. And in a way, it's interesting because we were sharing the commentary on that. We were talking about it and that was our way of having the conversation going. And I remember we, so, so on a weekly basis, we have these meetings, like whole organisation-wide meetings with the head director general and key members of, of staff. And then we have, it's like a listening session where you're listening, you would send in questions or call in or whatever. And um, people would ask these questions and June Sarpong, who was the head of creative diversity, would be like, we're working on something, it's coming out. And when it finally came out, I was like, boom, this is it. You know, we need to be putting our money where our mouth is, really invest. And, you know, it's not just about celebrating black people and black culture. We need to pay them. (laughs) Give me my money. Right. So that's I mean, that's that's what it's about. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes of that and, you know, and how many more people like myself who can benefit from those kind of opportunities. I'm Anita Kamara there from BBC Radio Leicester talking about the importance of making sure that BBC Local Radio really represent the audience that they need to serve. Next up is the Managing Director of Bauer Media London, Steve Parkinson. Oh, I'm so, so excited. I think over the past few months, me and you, we've really developed a really cool relationship. And it's mad because you can work in a building for so long and not speak to anyone. And now we're in this massive lockdown. I feel like I've never spoken to you so much. I always love, I say say this every time, but I do love catching up with you because I learn something new every time. We always have a good chat about new things, radio things, difficult things, but we always have a good chat. So I'm really looking forward to this. Oh, we really do. Now, for anyone that don't know, what is your actual role at Bauer? What does that include? So my job is a managing director for Bauer's national brands. So that's all the the radio stations in one golden square. So Magic, Absolute, Kiss, Planet Rock, Kerrang, Heat, Scala and Jazz. So yes, I'm a bit like the term managing director sounds. I manage the direction of those companies and make sure that we ultimately deliver the profit and the audiences that our owners in Hamburg have trusted us to do, but also to make sure that the staff, the people, the teams, the individuals, the presenters, that everybody has the best possible chance of enjoying a great week. And, you know, we're wanting Bauer to be a great place to do great work, which is a really big ambition. It's sort of a destination that we're obviously not going to get everything right. But if we've got a destination above the door to make it the best possible place to work, then we've got more of a chance to getting there by all working and talking together. And we're definitely heading in that direction. Now, obviously, earlier this year, um, Radio Silence, we put out different statistics from a range of different radio stations up and down the UK. And obviously, beforehand, I thought, you know what, let me email it to my boss. So I sent it over to you, also my managers at Magic as well. How did it feel for you when I first originally sent the statistics to your email? You know, I think I was walking the dog, <laughs> walking the dogs, <laughs> funnily enough. And I, and I glanced at my phone and I saw there was loads of attachments, there was loads of brands and loads of percentages. So I was sort of walking in the park going, oh, God, what's this? And, and I recognised some of the numbers because they were from the Ofcom report from the year before, I think, which, which were public. And I sort of thought, 
blimey, what, <laughs> what's this? So I was stood in the park with the dogs kind of running off the lead. And I was trying to make sense of it, first of all, because I was looking at it on my phone going, wow, there's a lot of information here. And I thought you'd been really brave and articulate in how you'd presented it to say, this is something that we're going public with. I can't remember quite what the words were, but I really hope this leads to a conversation. And so when I fully understood it, I, I sort of went from, shit, what's this? To actually, you know, literally, I remember by the end of that dog walk going, this is going to be a massive conversation moment. I wasn't scared. It wasn't like, uh, oh my God, what is this? I literally thought this is going to be a series of conversations that's going to change the way that we think, that we act, and how we have conversations. I literally knew at that point. And again, there was a quality and audio pack. There was different phrases in there. And I thought, this is all new. And I thought, I, I, I don't know what this is. I don't know what the movement is. But I honestly was excited to go, this is going to be really big. And I don't even know, you know, I don't even know where it's going to go. I went back and over the next 24 hours, as people were talking about it on socials, I called Dee Ford, who's the group MD of the UK. So she's my boss. And I said, look, the industry is going to be called out on things. Bauer is going to be called out on things. And I said that this is the best thing that could happen. We've got to listen to everybody. All I remember thinking was, I don't know what's going to come out, but we've really got to listen and properly listen and then work out what we do next. But I said to Dee, we're going to take action on this. And I think they're going to ask us to sign a pact that I, don't, I haven't really seen it yet. But I said, I, I think it's going to be very difficult not to sign up to. And I think everything on it is something that we need to work out, difficult or not, how we're going to do it. Now, the bigger the company, the harder it is to get everybody to make a decision. And I think we signed up for it within a week, which was pretty fast for a huge organization like Bauer. And it was the best thing we've done this year. Do you know what? Like from my perspective, when I sent it, and I've told you this before, I literally sent it, literally put my laptop down and I burst into tears because I was just like, oh my God, this is it for me. I'm finished. And then just how your response was, I have never felt so warmed like within myself and just like, do you know what? It was very brave. And now I look back and think, why did I cry? <laughs> why did I cry? Because of, it's absolutely fine. Like, it's fine. And it's put faith in me to encourage other people to do the same, whether it's within radio or whatever industry they're in, to just go and speak to their bosses. Because then you know whether you really want to work for a company as well, just by how you respond. Because I could have sent you them facts and you could have just been like, okay, cool, and just left it at that. And it hasn't, and it hasn't been like that. We've had so many conversations and it's led to so many great things. So, yeah about our signing the pact within a week which is incredible because that's the fast sort of reaction that we need to make change yeah I, th I think there's been so many what I call wait what moments um, yeah. <laughs> you know a bit like a bit like not so long ago in broadcasting you would never have regional accents you know you'd hardly hear a Scottish accent you would never have a Welsh accent and even local dialect you would just be you know, I'm sorry, we, you know, we have received pronunciation and we don't want a regional voice. Thank you very much. And looking back at some of the stories, you just go, wait, what? And that's what, I, you know, it was it really like that. And I think it was a, a wait, what moment as in, you know, I've learned to say it's okay that everybody is unconsciously biased. They don't know how, but everyone just has different unconscious bias that they've grown up with. And when you at least go, and it's okay to say that, you can start to understand different perspectives because it would be very easy to go I'm so sorry I'm busy with COVID we'll chat another time it was a wait what just tell me your views again it wasn't just the statistics which we were more aware of and you know we can talk about how we're tackling some of that but I think it was also immediately going wait what hold on I've not listened to your story I've not listened to Angie's story or Swazi or others around Bauer and it was like a wait well I haven't heard you properly you know truly and, and I think that was the light bulb moment and, and really it was down to you and I've said it before you and others and other people as part of their broccoli and the equality and audio pact coming forward and going right actually let's crystallize this moment and and let's make that change there and, and honestly I think it's changed my view of the world and I think it's well I know it's changed Bauer because of, of all the things that are now happening you know a long way to catch up on ourselves but boy things have started to move fast thanks to you really from a Bauer point of view you pressing that button and bursting into tears <laughs> had, uh, had a massive impact and hopefully all positive as we kind of move forward Definitely positive. Shall we talk a little bit about the changes that Bauer are doing at the moment? So we can start with what are you doing to hire diverse staff as in new intake? So I think there's lots of process 
sort of boring process actions that are so important to make sure that we are hiring a different way. It's, it's the old adage of if you keep doing everything the same way, you'll just get the first or, or the last Ofcom report, I think, said Bauer was 91% white. So really not good. I think when Ofcom started monitoring the numbers in London, the number of BME staff was uh, something like 7% versus the population average of about 41, 42%. So single figures, terrible. So within a year, it was 12%. And now going forward, we've got structures and plans in place that all senior leaders have a target now to really super focus on that um, diversity mix. So so there's almost a top-down approach of this is what we expect from leaders across Bauer. You know, you are expected and will be measured by how you bring in a more diverse talent. And I think there's lots of details sort of bottom up in that Perhaps the learn, looking back over the last few years, was if you go to the same websites, the same agents, the same old, right, we need a producer. Who knows a producer? Guess what? If most of the people are white, you're going to go to the same networks and will always be in a cycle that doesn't change. So I think it was in June 2018 when Bauer set up its first DNI forum from a group point of view to start to map out the right way forward and where we were going to focus. So, you know, I think there was a five work streams, sort of five pillars that we decided to focus on. One was BAME, one was LGBTQ+, one was women in content, because there's just not enough women rising through the ranks in content and production. Again, it's changing now, but two years ago, it was woeful. So, you know, we're slowly making change, but but it was pretty shocking back then, and there just wasn't a plan. And also disability, which we've called enable. So how do we enable that community? And then socioeconomic, so working out fair pay for a fair day's work and that sort of thing. Again, so process-wise, it was, okay, we've got a strategy top-down and now bottom-up. We need to make sure that when we have identified that we've got a role, let's shout it from the rooftops. Let's make sure it's on different websites through different networks. We use a BAME recruitment specialist now. We use Creative Access. You know, we have new places to go so that by the time we get to an interview day, that we have a much more diverse set of interviewees going into the mix. So there's lots of things in train there, but ultimately, by being more open, number one, we've got a better chance of improving those DNI numbers. A thousand percent. And also, can I just mention as well, like bringing it back to saying, okay, we're going to hire the right person. Regardless, I think that's such an important point because sometimes messages can be so misconstrued in the sense that people think that we're saying just hire black people for the sake of hiring black people. We're not saying that. What we're saying is that talent is out there, whether it's production, presenting, whatever it is, the talent is out there. It's just a case of spreading the message so the talent then comes to you. So I think it's super important. Now, can we discuss a little bit what Bauer's doing to protect the staff that they already have? Before we go and recruit, we need to be working really hard to make sure that we're having conversations with the diverse community that we've already got to go, actually, right, let's really hear your story, number one. So I guess certainly since um, May, one of the things I've been trying to do is, is really go, okay, let me hear your story. Let me hear your view. Let me hear your perspectives, which have been eye-opening and eye-watering in, in some regards, just to hear people speak openly and without Again, another wait, uh, wait, what moment? I think sometimes either people just felt they couldn't be heard, wouldn't be heard, or were scared to speak up in case we didn't like what we we're going to hear. But again, if we're going to be a more open, transparent organization, well, the first thing you've got to do, everybody, is listen. It doesn't cost any money. It costs a bit of time, and every conversation should lead to a better outcome. So I think, number one, it's hearing those people and finding out what their aspirations are and working out how we could, it might be learning and development. So we're sort of working towards a big learning and development change in emphasis, I think, going into 2021. I think learning and development is going to now be part of our Bauer Academy entity because they have such a wide experience of courses and methods of learning from a 90-minute session to cover the basics that everybody should know, so make sure everybody's on the same playing field, to perhaps some staff who want to do a master's in something that they have particular passion for that fits what the business is trying to do. So I, I think 
that those conversations along with the personal development reviews that start in January, I think again, there's a lot of effort almost beneath the waterline going into having those quality conversations with people who are already in the company. If they're having a good time, we want to make sure that they feel fully engaged and again, feel that Bauer is on the right journey towards being a great place to do great work. As someone that does work for Bauer, I can really, really happily say, and no one's forcing me to say this, you know what I mean? Like we're in different (laughs) rooms in probably different cities. And I can honestly say from the bottom of my heart, the work that Bauer's doing is so incredible. And it just fills me with joy just to know that change is happening. I think everybody in the industry is finding different ways to, first of all, work out how to channel all the views and ideas and questions and criticisms into making a plan that makes sense. And the key thing is that everybody feels they've got a voice and that has consequences because it's, you know, if you're going to listen, my three points are, number one is listen and really listen well. The second point is really seek to understand. Don't pretend, don't say, oh, I get it now because, you know, how can I get it? But I think you can at least understand different perspectives. And then the third thing is be prepared to take the right levels of action because there's no point in just listening and chatting if you're not then willing to go and do something about it. And I think that's amazing advice for people that are in senior levels, whether you're on like the exec board or et cetera, just listen and then make change because of a lot of us that are maybe a more junior level, like we want to be able to come and speak to you, but it's a scary thing to speak to your manager, especially if you think nothing's going to happen. So we all just need to listen and just learn from each other's experiences. What would you say that you've learned the most from everything this year? Oh boy, I've learned so much. Again, I, I, th- I like to throw myself into things and I think that every conversation has an enriching story and you have to be ready for the really celebratory ones to go, wow, fantastic. We've gone and hired somebody who's going to be responsible for really accelerating the DNI plan at Bauer, which we've done, which is phenomenal. But then you have to also be ready for the really uncomfortable ones. So I think the biggest learn for me is not to be scared to have the conversations, but to make the time to really hear people because it might not be in the first 10 minutes. They might need to take time to build up to telling you some home truths or their story. And it might be difficult for them. And it might be the first time that they're talking to a manager or a leader about it. And for some people, that can be quite daunting. And hopefully, if anything, I'm trying to ensure that people don't feel it doesn't feel daunting to speak to a manager or me or HR or whatever. Yeah. And it's so important to just listen and hear those stories because some people, you don't realise that these things happen until you do have those conversations. You think that we might, some people generally might just think that we just do this because we just want black people in the building just so we can be like, oh yeah, there's black people. It's not about that. It's about representation and feeling comfortable to just say how you feel and what you've experienced. We're not asking for much. We're not asking for much, really. Do you know what I mean? I feel like we're really not asking for much. Right. The most important question that I'd love to ask you. So, Barrow aside, the industry as a whole, how do you think that we can all make radio more diverse? The conversations that have started and the noise, the positive noise that's being created, I think there has to be a feeling that the whole industry is is moving forward. And I, I always have the phrase, not all boats will rise together. But as long as there's a sea change overall, then everybody you know moves forward in time. And whoever's the fastest moving then pulls everybody along at the same time. So you know, there's, there's been some really tough headlines this year. And I think if there's some good that's come out of the conversations and the noise and the anger and the celebration and the questions that have come out of it, then I think the industry will be in a much better place. But it needs everybody to listen and then take strategic action. And I think I say strategic because it's very easy for everybody to go running off in their own directions. And actually, half the projects and campaigns and strategies will all fall down because they haven't got a robust foundation of if there's going to be investment, what will that lead to? So I think everybody can move at different pace. But the number one thing is, is that it's, again, that we've listened properly, 
that we've given it considered thought and that there's strategic action. And the more actually the industry can join up, then I think the better. I think there's initiatives ahead. I think there'll be more news in the coming months of, of I think, parts of the industry really working together. So rather than all learning as separately as big islands, let, let's come together again, much stronger. And I guess much quicker progress will happen as a result. That sounds so good because we're such a small industry. I feel like everyone knows each other. So it's a bit of a shock that we all haven't come together more often. <laughs> It's it's hard with us both working at Bauer, isn't it? But I think it's when you look at all of the different teams across the different brands, there's so many people that have risen to the challenge of making meaningful content that is celebratory, commemorative, challenging in its own way. I never like to be complacent that you know we've come quite a long way in quite a short period of time and we've got so much to do. But it's great when our own people recognize the hard work and output that comes through from so many people and all of the brands that have produced content in different ways. Yeah. Who said that commercial radio is just 10 second links selling a brand? Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, it's so true, isn't it? It's so true. And, you know, whether you're on Capital Extra, Kiss, One Extra, you know, it's all about real stories. It's all, you know, on all brands. I'm not just picking on the the younger ones, but I think it's the, the younger stations are showing other brands the way because I think the right leaders of those brands have realized that you've got to let the people say the good stuff in the right way, but also talk about the difficult stuff from their hearts, not in a scripted way, not with somebody with a a stopwatch. And I think that's what we're hearing. And I think that can only lead to better radio, better podcasts, great audio. It's really exciting. If you enjoyed this episode, then make sure that you subscribe to the Radio Silence podcast. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Radio Silence Pod. So feel free to get in touch and let us know what you think. Radio Silence is presented by me, Kaylee Golden, produced by Palama Kaufman and Sarah Hebimoti, and engineered by Eric Breer. The music was made by Blackish Productions. And we'll be back next Monday with more important stories to share.